If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. We are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one that found it. (laughs) Jordan there. (laughs) Their scripts. I'm the one that found his joy in Super Smash Bros. Jordan. As Solid Snake. (laughs) Which you were a righteous dick because I'm the one that hated getting my ass whooped, Travis. Yeah, I got you with those rockets. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. Healing your chronic dice rolling carpal tunnel for incredible games. Because it gets bad, folks, with those heavy metal dice. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> like, they're they're really uh, they're they're weapons. You could kill someone yeah. with metal dice, or at least dent someone's table. So that's a real <laughs> threat. Or forehead, which I've been tempted to do <laughs> to me, to you. <laughs> All right. So today we're talking about lessons learned from decades of video game evolutions. Pong had us at. But since then, people have poured so much artistic effort into video games, and we're going to see what the best RPGs can teach us about playing more engaging D&D games. And I think this is so ripe, we could do like 50 episodes on every game and what they could probably teach us. But I don't know, there, there's just there's such a level of thought that goes into certain mechanics into RPG games and uh, storytelling. And I don't know, there's just there's decades of content there. Yeah, I mean, they've got teams of people working on things like you're talking about, the mechanics and how to make it more engaging for players. So why wouldn't we take some of those ideas? Yeah, they've got teams and I'm just one guy that's drunk most of the time. And I tell you that you're wrong most (laughs) of the time. (laughs) We had a great interview that we are using for this episode with a lovely gentleman named Tanner Roberts, who started and runs an amazing gaming shop called Press Start to Play in the wonderful town where Jordan and I used to live. Now, nobody we know absorbs and catalogs games as well as he does. He is intense about it. Yeah, his brain is just a library of game knowledge. So that's why we're having him on today. To give you a breakdown of the episode, in the hero stage, we're going to get to know Tanner and discuss why some video games are the perfect place to take these ideas from. And then we're going to hop over to the Archives of the Ancients, where we're going to look at specific mechanics and ideas from video games that have kind of stood the test of time. And in the interview, we talked about one of his favorites, Mass Effect 2 in particular. And then in the Proving Grounds, we put two different takes on Legion from Mass Effect 2 to the test, and we put them against Tanner's expert wisdom and judgment. Let's jump into it. This is the hero stage, where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. So Tanner is just a fantastic entrepreneur and also a big fan of both Magic the Gathering and D&D, so he thought he was a perfect interview candidate, as well as his ridiculous insight on video games. So we had a really great time interviewing Tanner, so let's go straight to that. Thanks for joining us, Tanner. Hello. 
So we wanted to start by talking about your store a little bit. Can you give us the pitch of Press Start to Play? Yeah. Well, we're a locally owned game store in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We recently moved closer to uh, kind of a resort area and uh, doubled our size, opened a website. We have employees now. How'd you start? Uh, well, it's kind of funny because as, as a kid, I always liked games and I wanted to always have an arcade. And, and you never really think something like that's going to happen. But uh, I ended up living with my business partner at the time, John, and we both kind of talked about it daily. And eventually we decided to open up a game store. We have uh, video games, board games, tabletop RPGs. Magic is very big in our store now. <laughs> yeah. The Gathering. Yeah, you guys have blown up with that. But yeah, it's uh, oh yeah, it's been huge. The the crossover of D and D and Ravnica is exactly where you live. Yep. Uh, well, the la- we've done it two weeks now. Uh, actually, yesterday was our second week, but it's pretty fun. Um, I like the fact that realistically, how we're doing it is uh, there's you can tell the difference between the people who are more into D and D compared to the people who are more into the magic side of things. Because they're trying to cast spells from the magic game that aren't necessarily in the D&D uh, rulebook yet. But oh. our DM's pretty good. He's giving them a lot of free will. Tell us a little bit about the kind of events that you throw there. Uh, well, we do bi-weekly uh, video game tournaments. We do weekly board game events. And we do... It depends on the... Because a lot of people, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the... Uh, the Magic the Gathering side of things is very much a sport. You know, esports is getting really big. Uh, Magic the Gathering has kind of already been at the same level uh, for quite some time. And uh, the tournament payouts can be quite big. There's professionals. That's their only job. And so the higher ranking of a store you get, the more tournaments you can uh, establish. But we're doing anywhere between like four and five tournaments a week. And sometimes um, each day might be filled with tournaments all day, you know every four hours wow so yeah and uh one of the main employees there who works on the magic side of things like they've entered the pro tour um they've qualified for it and you know they've gone to tournaments like ac- across country so it is it is pretty big um it's pretty fun to watch too because even if you're not a seasoned magic player when you watch them you can actually see there's quite a bit to the game there's a very uh, famous match that happened with Luis Scott Vargas. It was quite amazing. It was very much a poker tell where he <laughs> tricked his opponent into falling for a trap and he won the game. Wow. So it, he, he did a very good job. It was quite remarkable. Tournaments that get streamed, do you guys record any of them? or? Um, we haven't done any magic events streaming through our store. We've done video games. That's something I'd like in the future, but it comes down to time management. And a lot of times our tournaments are upwards of 50 people for that amount of space that kind of takes up everywhere and if we're going to be streaming with uh you know people talking about what's in people's hands and stuff we don't want to affect the game so we'd have to set it up in a way people can achieve from it yeah so we're trying to figure that out now we have the equipment to do it but we just haven't done it yet well for video games i mean smash bros pretty much every month we stream that for instance (laughs) excellent you've been playing video games from a very young age then what was the first one that kind of like drew you in? Uh, when I was a kid, I think it was the first Ninja Turtles on the NES. And then when I was younger, 
Um, my dad got a PC as well as Messenger, which was the most exciting game <laughs> because you're just randomly talking to people all over the world and you could do and say whatever you wanted. So exciting. But I would say that's that's totally what got me into it. Huh. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they're still going uh-huh. strong. One of my favorites was definitely the uh, Super Nintendo. That was great. Super Nintendo was awesome. Nice. Do you find that there's any games that stand the test of time a little bit better? A lot of the Nintendo stuff, you know, just the classic uh, Castlevania, Super Metroid, stuff like that. I mean, Hmm. even if it's not those exact games, there's games that are just like that constantly come out (laughs) that continue to be popular. So what do those games have in common? I mean, other than the actual game style, because the game style is really similar, you have a difficulty setting. Unlike, I mean, no offense to Halo, because Halo's a great game and can be difficult, but unlike games like Halo, you can mindlessly play from start to finish in that entire game, but sometimes, whether it's a game or a new game, like Dark Souls, for instance, that has kind of the same theme, you have to actually use a little bit of a decryption on what you're supposed to do takes a little bit more tact sometimes you have to go left before you can go right you know it's not you don't have something holding your hand the whole way okay i think that's a a big part of it and in the older games especially new games you don't have this nearly as much but you have to go out of your way and read and understand what is going on in the backlog of the story that's true Just like you know common theme mass effect there's a lot that you don't unless you seek it what would be your favorite video game of all time? Uh, tough question. I definitely really enjoy uh, the Dark Souls series. I love the difficulty. I loved when they initially initially had the PvP. I love the Mass Mass Effect series. Mass Effect Two is a really really good game. Um, the originals, especially, digging deeper to find answers, is super super enjoyable to me. So Tanner was talking about these concepts being part of a great experience. Like difficulty in the gameplay, discovering things on your own, meaningful stories. They're pretty tricky to pull off when you're DMing, but it's really worth it to put that effort in if you want to create those memorable moments in our experience. Yeah, every once in a while when I hit up the D&D subreddits and I hear stories of people bringing their table to tears over you know, <laughs> really cool story building moments, like that's the only way you really get that. Yes, yeah. you are just a master storyteller. You can attach a ton of meaning. And of course, all the players at the table bringing all that meaning to it as well. You obviously got to work together. But yeah, so I think some of the main takeaways from that were really about things like having a game feel difficult and not having your handheld necessarily. And that can, uh, I think, a little be a little bit tricky within D&D to lay down those breadcrumbs, have your players take them, but that player agency, as well as the reminder that the the world is a difficult and challenging place, really makes for any successes within that world really, really impactful and really valuable. It's a tricky balance to strike, but you just gotta kind of work on it and practice it. And yeah, I think trying. so. You just gotta hammer it out. And then the other one that I took away from that was story and character growth and depth like you need to have you need to have a point a and a point b and i know we've talked about this before at length um (laughs) but just like having that that character growth and again keeping in mind that those moments come from really well-developed characters you can't have those meaningful story moments without it really yeah yeah i think 
the the onus is is partially a big thing on the players to to at least give the foundation of a really cool arc cuz like you were talking about there's no if with with no arc with no character growth with no change there there really isn't the opportunity to grow deeper into a story that means something to you if you're just kind of wandering through a dream of of gameplay <laughs> and it doesn't really have an impact you're just like oh shit i don't know it's doesn't really matter and of course there's so many different ways to play the game and we recognize that but we lean heavy towards that story side if you're into the mechanics of it totally cool and if that's your game style yeah great. yeah those those kind of games always struck me as just like really elaborate chess <laughs> yeah yeah which um, I, I love the strategy side of things too but absolutely as soon as combat breaks out it's fun but yeah if you're talking story you're talking rpg um that's really at the core of this and that's what mass effect and some of these other games do so well absolutely all right so we're gonna go to the archives of the ancients next and get deeper into some of these points hit it up this is the archives of the ancients where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. Okay, so much to Tanner's point about great RPGs, there is a lot that can be borrowed, liberally borrowed, <laughs> without getting sued by uh, by Bioware. <laughs> which we will eventually get sued by one of these. Yeah, we're stealing a lot. From fantastic <laughs> games like Mass Effect 2, uh, so we chatted a lot to Tanner and let's go straight back to that interview. So let's talk about what makes Mass Effect 2 so timeless. The character development side of things in Mass Effect, it, like you said, how you can create something so massive, um, in a D and D world, I, everyone's trying to play and be a part of that. And they all have their own characters and their own development. And in the game, even though you are playing as one person, you feel a connection to everybody in the, in the series. What do you think they do in that game that creates that feeling? Each character has its own um, role, like their own unique thing that they focus on. And the game gives you the opportunity to help them out um, throughout, you know, completing your own story, or you can choose not to. But if you choose not to, you can see the differences that it makes on that character's development while the story continues. And then if you do, you can also see there's brands of loyalty. Uh, you have two characters that could completely hate each other due to a war that happened prior to the story that you're already going on through. And by the end of it, it's almost like that Lord of the Rings with uh, with Gimli and Legolas, how they just, you know, get past it. Yeah, so come together really over like that. their shared experiences. I, I don't want to give any spoilers away for the game, but in Mass Effect 2, there's the suicide mission, the most important mission in the game. And there's two biotics, which are just people who are who are able to control uh, matter around them, um, which not everyone can do without, you know, an upgrade. And one of them is clearly stronger than the other one, like probably one of the strongest ones in the universe. But when you go on the suicide mission, you have the option of choosing somebody else because of the backstory you have built or the relations you have built. And they, I mean, every everyone can die in that game. Um, so like choosing the wrong person could be a mistake, but I chose who I thought was best because it was their time to take up that role, even though they were clearly weaker than the other ones. You know, I wanted to see them succeed and I knew that they could have failed and they could have died and I would have lost them in that mission, but I wanted to see if they could do it, you know? 
it's kind of cool. I forget about the amount of tension yeah. that comes to the choice of your team in that final mission. Oh my <laughs> God. That, yeah, the stakes are high. Okay, so Mass Effect 2 and in chatting with Tanner, I, I think some of my best takeaways from that and what I loved most about that conversation, what got my brain a-cooking... Juiced up. ...was really having that that vast array of characters that was presented to you in Mass Effect 2. And you, as a player, can get as involved or not involved in every one of those characters' lives as you kind of wanted to. And you build those relationships and make things stronger that open up obvious different paths for the story to unfold. Yeah, and I remember playing that game and just thinking, wow, there's so much to each one of these NPCs. Yeah, that's unlike any game I've played so far. And everyone was so rich and so deep and so different from one another. I think there's a really cool opportunity to explore that more with every NPC that my players encounter. Yeah, so we actually got some pretty cool tools for that. So the tools that we talk about are going to be posted in our show notes, so don't worry about remembering all of this. But we found this one in the subreddit D&D Behind the Screen by user Lyra256. It was inspired by the mechanics in the game Fiasco, which you can find over at bullypulpitgames.com. But Lyra put together a Google Doc where you roll 2d8 and you choose two characters to create a relationship between. And these 2d8 generate a pretty thorough backstory that you can easily link up any two characters with. And we have a lot of fun actually rolling on these tables um, you know, tables are always fun in D&D. Everyone loves tables, but, or maybe not everyone does, but... <laughs> but even if you don't use them, they're still fun to roll on. Yeah, so we, you know, very quickly, you roll 1d8 to determine uh, whether, what the connection is, whether it's a romance or a uh, past work or, you know, warfare or something like that. And then the the second d8 really takes you that extra level deeper, which is so quick and so easy to really start to get the wheels turning. I, I feel like the only the only thing that's needed for this um, is to take it that one extra step to put your own personal touch on each one of these. Yeah, because you need some character details to flesh it out. But when you have all of those elements, it's really easy to put it all together and make it make sense. So for instance, in uh, in the warfare, uh, the the second option would be one killed the monster, one got the credit. And like immediately right there that's a ton of fun <laughs> yeah that like that's so, so cool and then as soon as you add that that player level now all of a sudden you know what the monster is and you know where it happened and you know and that all becomes this like rich tapestry that is immediately weaved and it doesn't matter whether you're a player trying to forge those connections between other people at the table or you're a dm trying to actually give something deeper to an NPC that they just encountered. Yeah, where the tavern keeper hears you talking about someone else and says, oh, that asshole. And that's what makes all of those connections on Mass Effect so cool is that every single one you can explore deeper. And they're all tied together. They all know each other. It's not just individual signpost NPCs that say one thing and walk away. Exactly. And some of them, you know, some of the NPCs hate each other and you have to deal with that. And that's... I think that's the richness that is missing from 
I think a lot of D&D games, when that level of detail hasn't been done, but it's arduous and it's time consuming without things like these tables. Yeah. And so that's why these little tools help us so much. So here's our fun little example. We did a little experiment with Travis, myself, and my girlfriend, Rumor. And we came up with three characters that are all well-connected in about 10 minutes. Yeah, it was very, very quick. And the only other thing that we used was uh, what the fuck is my D&D character to kind of create the foundation. Uh, Yeah, so Travis's character, named Omakas, is a dramatic elf bard from Dungeon Inspector Guild Local 422 who's never been kissed. (laughs) (laughs) Rumor's character, Kenna, is a selfish human rogue from the city post office who lost two fingers in a training accident. And my character is Pimsire, the diplomatic gnome fighter from a village that sold everything to attend an adventure academy. So, easy baseline there. We've got the relationship between Omakis and Kenna. It's, we rolled on the tables, we got familial, an eccentric aunt, and nephew. So then we just fleshed that out with Omakis married a human, Kenna's niece, and she ran away. Eventually she came back with him, and now Kenna wants to marry Omakis instead and get his money. (laughs) Because he's super rich. Omakis' relationship with Pimsire. We got the past, and they used to be pirates together. So, fleshing that out, Omakis got rich from a life of piracy, and Pimsire was part of his crew, but he always gave Pimsire a tiny share of the loot, Pimsire being totally unaware of this unequal distribution. So, n- that already, like, fleshes out the fact that I'm a bit of a dick. Yeah. And that I'm super well off. Rumor's character is trying to impress you. My character likes you, but you've got the secret from me. And already so much to role play with there. Yeah, absolutely. There's just, there's infinite levels. Anytime I get to be a pirate, I'm happy. (laughs) And then finally, Kenna's relationship with Pimsire, we got work and business rivals in a dying industry. So Kenna and Pimsire each started a sandal business one long hot summer (laughs) (laughs) when real cobblers were having trouble keeping up with the demand for lighter, cooler footwear. Each of them constantly tried to one-up the other, and as soon as fall came around, it got muddy. Their sales plummeted. (laughs) (laughs) They both went out of business. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there's that rivalry informs a lot of role-playing. A sandal, I would would definitely not invest in a sandal business in a world and place and time (laughs) where the the ground is just covered in in horse shit all the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And probably, yeah, they're not great for running away from monsters. Sand, yeah, sandals may not be the d- best dungeoneering footwear. <laughs> oh, but you make them heavy and you can whip them at people's heads. It's <laughs> oh, a <good>. weapon. <laughs> Anyways, enough about our sandal business. So finally, we decided that we all joined the Adventure Academy that Pimsire sold everything to attend, all for different reasons, and that's what joined us up officially as a group. And in under 10 minutes, that's a pretty darn good baseline for a campaign. Totally. And I mean, even if this is, you know, let's say Omakas and Pimsire are actually just two people that own a restaurant or a tavern that you come into. And very, very quickly, you have a pretty rich, elaborate backstory. Yeah. And then you take a take a little bit to flesh out your backstories more and you're good to go based on those connections. I don't think that this is necessarily paid attention to in a lot of cases because usually people don't tend to ask you know you sit down with the bartender and go so tell me your backstory 
Like <laughs> that's why I think a lot of DMs don't necessarily put the time in for this kind of stuff. However, with every one of these roles with uh what the fuck is my D&D character.com and this table, I we immediately have uh a rivalry between Pim Siren and it can just be quickly dropped in. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to serve you some some ale, but Pim Sire over there is the one that runs the ale because we're not on speaking terms because he ruined my business. You know, whatever the case is, yeah, it's, it's so quick and easy to do. And we only we really like the details that are usable in conversation like that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go straight back to that interview. Mass Effect is also unique in the sense that it is one of the few games. There's more and more that are coming out, but one of the few games that has a actually fleshed out morality system with the Paragon Renegade point system. Yeah, I will say I'm probably not somebody who is into that as much as everyone else, because yet again, I still feel like I would do whatever I feel is appropriate. And sometimes when you do something that you feel is noble or just, it shows up as a negative attribute, just sometimes. But um, with that being said, I know a lot of people who go through a game and will go all good or all bad and then play through the other way. Um, I usually don't do that personally, but uh, I do see the appeal in it, especially if they give you um, more storyline for doing one or the other. Yeah. Like Infamous did. So another important takeaway from this interview was, I think, the morality of Mass Effect 2. And that was a really, really interesting mechanic. It was, but Tanner pointed out something kind of interesting in that there's kind of an issue with morality in most games in that morality isn't black and white in everybody's world. So something you think is good might not be the game's good. So in Mass Effect, where decisions are all portrayed very morally gray... And it gives you a good or bad rating based on your great decisions. It's kind of tricky sometimes. And it doesn't necessarily give you good or bad. It gives you Paragon or Renegade. Both drive the story forward. And it doesn't necessarily matter what you do, but how the world reacts to your actions. True. Yeah. Just how the world interprets it more, more or less. Yeah, because both, no matter what, the story, you're a good guy. You're trying to save the freaking universe. There's <laughs> no, <suppose>. yeah. <laughs> like, you you can't be a bad guy, but there are that Paragon and Renegade mechanic definitely paints you in a certain picture of your actions and what kind of things you do. Yeah, I guess that would be almost, Paragon and Renegade would almost be lawful chaotic. In D&D terms? Yeah, more or less. So based on that, I kind of came up with an idea for informing your own role-playing, and I'm starting to use it for my character in one of our games. So I was thinking if you had, instead of Paragon, Renegade, or Good, Bad, you had two opposing goals for your character, one more selfish and one more altruistic. And it's even better if they oppose each other in some way. So for my character, just keeping it super simple at first, I've worked it in as the desire for more magical power, which is his selfish desire, and mm -hmm. the opposing thing being supporting his friends and supporting the party. So this is good for me, as I know what my two biggest motivations are. And I think it's also a, a even better tool for DMs, because if I give that to my DM, 
which is you <laughs> in this case, in this scenario, um, you can use that to create morally difficult decisions for my character. And I, I do want to point out that I wasn't initially wise to this whole plan. And it makes a lot of sense now as to some of the dumb shit that your character's <laughs> been doing. But now, what? yeah, no, it, it certainly is. And I can, um, now that I am wise to this whole uh, system of kind of playing your character, it means that I can throw moral conundrums at you left, right, and center, and you can play with those within that moment, and especially within the moment where, where your other party members have some level of interaction with it as well. Absolutely. Because now all of a sudden it makes that that moral decision in that gray area as to which direction you're going to potentially choose if I put something in front of you is also influenced by the people that will be impacted around you. So now the decision becomes wildly dynamic. <laughs> and I, I think it's really neat too because previously when presented with moral decisions, I almost step out of the role-playing of the character and think in terms of Jordan. But now I can think in terms of my character because I've established his morals yeah rather than those two driving factors yeah yeah absolutely and the last thing that we think that we can really take from these kinds of games is the open world aspect and sure we've all heard of open world D games and they're fantastic versus a more linear story both great game styles but specifically what we were thinking is great about these types of rpgs is they start you off really small and they kind of have you learn the rules. So whether you're in a dungeon in Skyrim, starting off with a scoop full of sand before you introduce the sandbox. Yeah. To, to cool. just like, to really grasp, okay, what is this world? What is happening? And that's kind of like that, that hard hitting intro. And that I'm a big fan of that. Like I never start being like, okay, you're at a tavern. I start with, you are in the shit and you are being chased from here, there, and like just as that kind of little mini kickstart to a game. Yeah. I think the closest you did to you're in a tavern was you're in a tavern, but it's burning down around you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right like, now. <laughs> this is happening. And maybe your characters don't know each other right now, but they will by the time you figure <laughs> out your way out of this burning tavern. When you're the only survivors. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so then once you introduce that, that bit of sand, the next step is ultimate freedom. When you come out of those places in those video games, you're just stuck for a moment wondering like literally, which way should I walk? Because I can go anywhere now. And from a DM's perspective, this can seem, I think, like a really daunting thing. So we're not saying like, now you have to figure out in a whole open world. If you scroll through any DM Academy stuff on on Reddit, you're going to discover that most DMs say don't over-prepare. But the, the, the quick and easy way of doing that to give people that sandbox feel is to have the same destination, but presented in three different flavors. So that the players go, ooh, okay, I guess we go east, west, or north. Which way do we want to go? Uh, let's go north. But the same destination is there. It's just skinned a little bit differently. You still had the same plans all along. Yeah, you create one place and it is where they go. And it creates that, I mean, do it whichever way you want. But it creates that illusion of an open world. And like they're 
deciding exactly where they want to go. See, and I can I can already sense your hesitation because you don't necessarily do this. You <laughs> actually flesh out all three of those places. Yeah, I get a little too deep sometimes. <laughs> and then like after six hours, I'm like, whoa, what have I done? <laughs> and I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. Absolutely not. Just some ideas. Okay, so now that we've talked about some of these game tips, you and I really wanted to get Tanner's approval on a couple <laughs> of different pitches for a specific Mass Effect character. So what was the character that you, like what was the NPC that you as a player connected with the most? My favorite one was easily Legion. That Legion, there's so much about Legion. I, his entire race is a hive mind. They were all created to serve. They all became self-aware, but they still are connected via a network. I honestly feel like there's a lot of parallels between that and kind of our generation now with the internet. They all have their own views that are not necessarily considered to be the same as everybody else in the universe. They have been known to do very disruptive things, but all for a cause that they believe is right, which yet again parallels to this world. And then yet again, don't want to give away too many spoilers, but... <laughs> But Legion specifically does things that none of the other ones seem to do. And on a sci-fi level, character development level, everything about him. Also, his kit, I really enjoyed uh, his combat kit. was yeah. really good. It's yeah. totally my play style. Nice. So The, the long range. Actor that they did for him, his look, everything about Legion. <laughs> right on. So let's go over to the Proven Grounds. This is the Proving Grounds, where colorful characters are put to the test, becoming champions or outcasts. All right, so going into the character of Legion a little bit, we're just going to do a quick recap. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Tanner, because I'm no superstar, but Legion belongs to the race Geth. And the history of the Geth is they started as a race of artificial intelligence created by the Corians, a race of highly intelligent humanoids known for their abilities with AI and technology. A feature of the Geth is that they could be networked together for advanced efficiency. This allowed them to gain sentience, rebel against their creators, and finally to win their independence. The Geth uh, had two factions. The Geth were primarily peaceful, only interested in improving themselves. When a more powerful AI came along, Sovereign, a group broke off to follow it called the Heretics. These Heretics follow their leader in having a contempt for organic life and are very warlike and violent. And Legion was sent out to investigate the effects of Mass Effect 1. So the basic powers of Legion were Shield Boost, which gives a bonus to defense. AI Hacking, which hacks... I was having a little bit of trouble remembering this one exactly, but... It hacks one enemy AI unit to make it register as an enemy of any other AI in the area. That's how it worked, right? Yeah, for a shortened period of time. Yeah. Cool. Um, and Kind of like gaining aggro to an enemy. Yeah. I thought that was kind of unique. I like that ability. He's also got long range. He's good. With I think he's the only one who could do that. Um, also good with long range weapons. And finally, the drone. He sends out a dr flying drone with offensive capabilities. And I keep referring to Legion as he, but I believe Legion did not have a gender. Right. 
Um, okay, so that's the baseline of Legion that we're trying to emulate in Dungeons & Dragons. Okay, so I didn't actually go too far off the rails like I usually do. Um, for a little bit of background, Tanner, Jordan usually tries to stick to the book as close as he can, and I go off the rails and find awesome homebrew content all the friggin' time. Essentially, uh, what I did was I went with uh, the new Unearthed Arcana, specifically for Eberron. In the world of Eberron, there is a race called the Warforged that are very popular in D&D, um, and essentially they're robots. They're mechanical humanoids, and obviously that suits the Geth. Um, and then on top of that, I did a build that was split. It was very heavily multiclassed, but I was going specifically to try and cut to the core of what Legion was. In my build, I did fighters, the primary class, and this one we did to just make him a heavy hitter. And the first feat that I built into this build was obviously sharpshooter. So with the sharpshooter, you basically, you've mastered ranged weapons. Um, so attacking at long range doesn't impose any disadvantage. So you have an insane range. Um, especially with a longbow. So not only do you hit really hard as a fighter, but you also have that range. And then I actually, in order to hit that, uh, that sends out a flying drone with offensive capabilities, as Legion was able to do, I also took a minor dip into Ranger to get a, uh, an animal companion. And then just for an extra little bit of flavor, I also did a... I, I did this build up to level 10, so I took a two-level dip into Rogue in order to get a couple of key abilities there as well. Now blow us, blow us away, Jordan, because we're going to determine who gets stabbed at the end of this. All right. Well, I better live large before my stabbing. So I was pr pretty proud of this one. So the race of the Gith. Okay. So the Gith started as a race of humanoids enslaved by the Illithids, or the Mind Flayers, a race of highly intelligent humanoids known for their abilities in psionics and mind control. An ability the Geth eventually had bred into them was the control of psionics, or mind, uh, or telepathy, communication through the mind. This allowed them to work together, rebel against their captors, and win their independence. After winning their... Wow. <laughs> After winning their freedom, the Gith broke into two schools of thought on a perfect society. The Gith Yankee saw themselves as superior, deserving whatever they could take from other civilizations. The Gith Zerai valued self-improvement through discipline and order, and so secluded their society. So that's pretty spot on. Definitely winning. Um, so Legion. <laughs> this, this I kind of created based on that. So there's a group called the Shasalku which is a group that's trying to unite the two factions of Gith. Legion is an experiment that has come out of this group, in which one Gith has been chosen to be the host of a group of Anarchs, which are elite Gith Zerai psionics, so that they can make decisions as a group and work as one. So that's my the actual character of Legion in Dungeons & Dragons from a backstory perspective. So what class did you make him? Shadow Sorcerer 6, level 6 and fighter level one. And the abilities that he gets from that are for the shield boost aspect, he gets a shield spell, which is a pretty basic spell in Dungeons and Dragons that boosts your 
armor class, and the Blade Ward Cantrip, which is a uh, very temporary ability that does the same thing. Then for the AI hacking part, okay. we've got the Ring of Mass Suggestion, which is a pretty powerful spell. That's the only thing that wasn't actually a part of the stats of the classes that I decided on. And it's the only magic item that helps this build. But Mass Suggestion is a spell that influences a group of people or characters. And so I figured, yeah, that AI hacking works perfectly because he could convince everyone to turn on one enemy. Then for long range, I gave him the archery fighting style that comes from the fighter class, um, which gives you a bonus to bow attacks. And finally, the drone ability of Legion. I <clears throat> found an excellent ability in the Shadow Sorcerer build called the Hound of Ill Omen. You basically summon a hound, and at the start of its turn, the hound automatically knows its target's location. If the target is hidden, it is no longer hidden from the hound. While the hound is within five feet of the target, the target has disadvantage on saving throws against spells you cast. On its turn, it can only move towards its target by the most direct route, and it can only use its action to attack the target. So it's basically this one-mission hellhound that you summon to take out enemies. Sweet, sweet. Okay, now you have to... And by the way, I will mention that my legion could also have the ring of mass suggestion but i don't think the ring of mass suggestion works like that i don't think you can command one faction to kill its own faction i looked at the rules and it's very debatable what the parameters of mass suggestion are god damn it <laughs> so we could sit here all night and talk so, about that so one question i have the gifts because you gave me their backstory are they at all uh like robotic or are they just humans or are they half and half or that's the only part of legion that i didn't work into this character they are not robotic or mechanical at all they are uh okay kind of a alien like yellow skinned uh humanoid creature so um i like both of them i like travis has that they're half like machine people i think that's really cool the sharpshooting obviously i thought was awesome the companion, although I never really used that drone thing when I played Legion, I think that's really cool that you can do that. And it does make sense. The telepathy I thought was kind of cool. They the It gives them kind of the hive mind, even though they don't all follow one suit. For Jordans, I'm obviously talking about. And then uh, whether or not you could debate the influence, I feel like overall, I would say I probably like Jordans a little more. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Stab oh, he's stabbing me right now! <laughs> oh, God! Um, well, that's uh, yeah, fine. I'll 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 show myself out. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's my podcast now. I am Winterman. Winterman, good. Thank you for your unbiased opinion. Yeah, totally unbiased. <laughs> it was. It was. I actually didn't. After you started, I was like, oh, I don't know how jordan's gonna top that except for the beginning with the gift is a pretty solid it's <laughs> that was pretty solid it's so close <laughs> like it's pretty much the same story yeah i was just like holy crap if only this... they were robotic yeah. yeah but you could play a a mind melded gif into the body of a warforged that's true because you can do anything you want in D D, and that's what <laughs> makes it so great so my Gith Legion comes out on top. 
Your gift legion sucks my butt. <laughs> I'm going to keep reminding you every hour <laughs> on the hour. There's a banner in our living room that says the gift came out on top. That makes no sense to visitors. <laughs> All right. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, I still say the uh, the Warforged made better, but yeah, <laughs> fuck you anyways. I'll give you the Warforged. The Warforged <laughs> was cool. All right, so what we learned today, we got to know a little bit about Tanner in that first segment. We learned about his shop and his expertise, and we found out that story and challenge stand the test of time. So in the second segment, we remembered a solid way to introduce open worlds. We talked about the ways that characters feel and and tied together and all of that backstory, how to make a rich backstory really quickly. And we talked about the morality of choosing two opposing goals for your character and allowing that to be the decider. And finally, we learned about a very cool character from Mass Effect 2 named Legion, explored some 5th edition lore while we built him. And Jordan didn't win. I really won. I, I had the popular vote. Did, I think we have to let them decide. I'm choosing. Say it right now, listener. Very similar with... <laughs> Which one did you like more? Yeah, we're listening. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I clearly won. <laughs> shut it. Shut it. Okay, so thank you very much to Tanner Roberts, the shop owner and gamer extraordinaire, for enlightening us on how to take ideas from amazing video games. And if you are in the Coeur d'Alene area, definitely stop by Press Start to Play his shop is kicking the absolute shit out of other game stores like GameStop oh, in town. Name dropped. Name dropped. Yeah. The gauntlet is thrown down um, because <laughs> he gives really cool fair prices on classic video games. And they're a couple of awesome dudes. You can uh, check out their website, pressstartcda.com, where certain inventory is available for shipping to US and Canada. Their Facebook page, Press Start CDA, or their Twitter at Press Start CDA. They're currently revamping their streaming setup, so you're, if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. Also, all of the segment intros and all of the background sounds were provided by Tabletop Audio, so if you don't use them, please, please do. They also have a Patreon, so go and support, because just fast and furiously, they are releasing new soundboards that I use in every one of my games. <laughs> Yeah, it really adds to it. And we are Travis and Jordan. You can find us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find our Patreon. If you know any other players, let them know. Also, keep throwing down those reviews. We, You wouldn't believe how much we light up when we see some nice words on iTunes or even our website or just drop us an email. Shit. Yeah, say hello. And it really, it helps other people find the show as well. So thanks for listening and play, play grape, grape games. games. Did you say grape? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs>